Amen. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Looking forward to jumping back into the scriptures. We're in John 1, 29 to 34. You can open up there. As I said, third week of Advent, which means we are one week and one day away from Christmas this year. So right around the corner, we've been studying John chapter 1. John is one of the four gospel writers. You've got four people who wrote a biography of Jesus. Uh, they don't contradict with one another. Uh, they complement one another. They sometimes even overlap, tell the same story in different ways. We're looking at the beginning of John. So birth of Christ, beginning of John's gospel. And he describes it, remember, two weeks ago, uh, that Jesus is the Word of God in the flesh. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus didn't begin. Uh, that infinitely beforehand, the second person of God, the second person of the Trinity was incarnated. That's the Word of God. Then last week, we looked at John the Baptist, his ministry. And uh, we said he's probably one person who wouldn't want us to focus on him because his focus was on Jesus. And he wanted to point us to Jesus. Well, today, we're going to, as we look at John's Gospel, we finally actually see Jesus himself enter into the Gospel. It doesn't say anything in this section. But we actually see him as a person coming into the biography at this point. And of course, Jesus is what Christianity is all about. Christ is at the center of Christianity. And Jesus is what Christmas is all about. Um, the very word Christmas, the etymology of the word, you can kind of see it right from looking at the word Christmas. Uh, the Mass of Christ, Christ's Mass. It's the, the worship service, uh, the gathered worship service. Of Christ. That's what Christmas is. When his people get together specifically to celebrate Christ and his birth. See friends, Christmas I think in many ways has become a bit of a mess <laughs> over the years. Um, and there's a lot that sort of gets in the way of seeing Jesus and seeing Christ when it comes to Christmas. Um, you know when you wake up on Christmas morning and after everything gets opened up, you have wrapping paper and bows and ribbons and packages and all this stuff all over the place. And it's just a big, your whole living room is just a big giant mess. I love that. Don't you love that? <laughs> but I think in some ways that's what Christmas has become in many, for, for a lot of us. There's a lot that just kind of clutters Christmas. And so I hope that this Christmas, and that's one of the reasons why we gather together as a church, is that we can kind of look past the wrapping paper and look past the colored lights and look past the tinsel and look past the big sails at the mall and see Christ. And that's what we saw John the Baptist asked us to do. I think that's what John the Gospel writer is trying to get us to do in writing this gospel. So we as a church at First Baptist want to encourage you to do. It's what I as your pastor wanted to ask you to do. To look past it all and make sure you look to Jesus, the Son of God. Look with me at John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34, as we find out who this Jesus is. 29 to 34. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. We look to Jesus as the Son of God. If you want to open your bulletin, you can see an outline in there. If you'd like to take uh, notes or if you just want to see where we're going, take a look. Uh, But we're going to look at four different things here about Jesus. First, verses 29 to 31, Jesus is the Lamb of God who bears our sin. Uh, Then Jesus is the ultimate spirit-filled man of God. Uh, Then, verse 33, Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Talk a a bit about what that's all about. And then Jesus is the Son of God that John witnessed about. So look at me, at 29 to 31, Jesus is the Lamb. He's the Lamb of God who bears our sin. John sees Jesus coming to him, and it says the next day. So those who were here last week, you remember what he's talking about. Uh, There was a delegation sent from the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, to find out who John the Baptist is. And he tells them, I'm not the Christ or some great prophet that you think I am. I'm just basically out here as a voice preparing the way. Well, it's the next day, literally the next day, Jesus comes out to him and he exclaims, most likely to those who are following, those who have come out to see John, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, how did John know that? Uh, I think this is something, you know, in his spirit, uh, by the Holy Spirit, that's sort of letting him know, (laughs) telling him, uh, it sort of leaps within him that this is the Lamb of God. And this wouldn't be the first time, if you know a little bit of your Bible, when when, uh, John was just an embryo before he was even born. He was conceived, but he was still in his mother Elizabeth's womb. He met Jesus. Uh, Jesus is younger than him in earthly years. So Jesus is six months younger. So Jesus is just in his mother's womb, and John is in his mother's womb. And the two mothers, Elizabeth and Mary, come together. And what happens is, John the Baptist in his mother's womb, leaps for joy. That's what it says. Even inside of his mother's womb, just in the presence of Jesus. Something about him knew that he was in the presence of the Messiah, of of the Son of God. And it witnessed to her. Elizabeth could feel it. And she said, just as soon as you walked in the door, something within me, the uh, baby in my womb, leapt for joy. Well, I think it's sort of similar here. As he sees Jesus, he knows immediately, behold, it's the Lamb of God. He describes him as the one who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, what does he mean, Lamb of God? Uh, this would have a this would this word this idea is just packed here. Um, the Lamb of God would bring to mind the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Uh, that and particularly, I think the Passover. So you guys know the story, or you've seen the movie at least, right? Uh, what happens? They take the Passover lamb. That's the center of Passover. They sacrifice it. They take the blood. They put it on the doorposts, and then the angel of death passes over. That place. Those who are protected are protected by the sacrificial lamb. That's the idea behind it. Well, he's saying, Behold the Lamb of God. Or Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which wasn't a lamb, it was a goat, but nevertheless, that idea of a sacrificial animal takes the place of the sins, of the people in their sins. Or maybe it has more to do with the whole sacrificial system in general. You have the sin offerings and guilt offerings. The whole of Judaism was based, temple worship was based on these sacrifices. And there were specific stories like Abraham, who was going to offer his son Isaac. And then God stopped him from offering his son as a sacrifice. God never commands, uh, in all of the Bible, he never commands someone to actually take the life of their son or daughter. Never, never happens, not even once. In this case, he stops Abraham from doing it and provides a ram in the place of his son. A sacrifice in the place of Isaac. 
Or maybe he has in mind Isaiah 53, which is, of course, uh, our missionary Mitch Foreman's favorite section of the Bible, I think. Um, He always wears a shirt, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 describes the Messiah as a lamb being led to the slaughter. For us, a sacrifice in our place. All these ideas are coming together when he says, he's the one. This guy coming out to us right now is the one. He's the Lamb of God. He is the one I prepared the way for. It says that John didn't know him. And what it means by that is not that he actually didn't know Jesus. Interestingly enough, he did know him. Uh, he was like a second, he was a second cousin. They were related. Uh, but he didn't know that he was the one who would be the Messiah. And until Perhaps this moment or the baptism we'll see earlier. This is the very reason I've been baptizing people. Uh, I've been having people come out to me in the wilderness, dunking them under the water, lifting them up in repentance of their sin, preparing them for the kingdom for this reason, for this person, for Jesus. And here's the point. At the heart of our faith is an atonement, a sacrifice, the removal of sin through the death of another. You know, Christianity is known for a lot of things. It it actually has almost become a synonym for good, right? Somebody does something really good, they say, that was very Christian of you. If somebody does something bad, what do you say? Hey, that wasn't very Christian, right? It's almost become a synonym for the word good. It's also become known for charity. The word charity just means love, uh, but really charity is usually referred to giving generously. Uh, when you think of that, that word comes out of the Christ- Christianity, charitable giving. Uh, to be Christian is to be charitable. It's also known for a lot of bells and smells. Um, if you come from a high church background like uh, Catholicism or Episcopalianism, you, you're familiar with all the bells and the smells. Um, we're, not, we're kind of in between, you know, at First Baptist. We're not uh, high church, but we're, we're somewhere in between here. Um, but that's what Christianity is. That's what you know. All the smell of incense and the sound and the ringing of bells are... But if you really have to get at the center, at the heart of what Christian faith is all about, it's about a sin bearer who saves us. You know, almost every religion on the planet has some form of sacrificial idea, some sacrificial concept to it. I saw it clearly in Hinduism. I see it uh, and even in the major world religions. Judaism, of course, we talked about that. The whole Old Testament uh, is the center of worship in the Old Testament is the temple. And the temple is all about sacrifice. It's the whole idea. You see it in, in all different pagan religions as well. This idea of a sacrifice of some animal or something to try to atone for sin. Sometimes it's even a self-sacrifice. It's uh, you whip yourself. You know, at one point uh, people would, would whip themselves with a with a three-pronged instrument on their back just to punish themselves for their sin. You know, this idea is ingrained in us. We need some way to pay for sin. Well, friends, in Jesus we find the true meaning of all of that. We see a sacrifice who gave his life for us. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The heart of our message here at First Baptist is to believe in Jesus as the sacrifice for your sins. And this Christmas, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Yes, he was the baby in the manger. And yes, he was the great teacher. Perhaps the greatest teacher ever. The greatest rabbi. I mean, you read his, even his stories are just amazing. Even if you don't believe in them, they're amazing. I think it was uh, Charles Dickens said uh, about the prodigal son. It was the greatest short story ever written. <laughs> uh, you know, amazing teacher. 
He was a miracle worker. He could walk on water. He could make bread from five loaves and two fish. He could calm a storm. He could cure someone from leprosy. All those things are true about him. But his primary work was the cross in which he died for us in our place. He is, as John the Baptist says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Don Carson said, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our spiritual death, and he sent us a savior. Friends, I think this is what gets lost sometimes in a lot of churches. If you stop focusing on the Bible, you tend to stop focusing on the gospel, on Christ's death for us, and then it all just becomes about being good. (laughs) Just be a good person. Act Christianly, as we said earlier. And we lose this idea that we need a sin bearer to take our place. Uh, Richard uh, Niebuhr, theologian from the 1930s, said this. He criticized a liberal social gospel as this. He described it as a message about a God without wrath who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. A neutered gospel. A gospel that can't actually save. It really just sets us up for failure. I think Christmas can be in particular danger of this. Uh, Christmas, you know, Christmas can just be all about the Christmas spirit and being generous and fluffy love <laughs> and not about the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong, friends. There is certainly something very good uh, about being, uh, doing good deeds and being charitable. That's, that's extremely important for the Christian life. But at the heart of it is Christ. I'll give you two illustrations from uh, two famous uh, Christmas stories here. Uh, the first one comes from a Christmas carol. And uh, both these are good. But one of them, I think, is better than the other. So uh, you may remember in the Christmas carol um, that Jacob Marley visits Scrooge. And, uh, and tries to say, you need to change your ways or you're in trouble. And uh, this is what Scrooge says. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Faltered Scrooge, who now began to apply himself to this. Business, cried the ghost, wringing its hands again. Mankind was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The deals of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. To which we can say, amen, absolutely. Your business should be mankind and love for people. That is a huge part of what we want to celebrate. But there's something more important than that. And that's Christ and his sacrifice. So the other illustration comes from Charlie Brown. Right? Everyone remembers Linus, right? What does Linus say? Charlie Brown, after getting his little uh, tree, um, he says, Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And his Linus is answered, Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And there was, in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. And Linus says this, For behold, I bring unto you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> yes, be good. That's true. And it's a, an important part of what we, we're doing. But understand, friends, as John the Baptist tells us here, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The moment that Jesus took on flesh, he became mortal, which means he was being prepared like a lamb for us. In fact, if you may know this, may or may not know this, that most of the lambs that were used for sacrifice in the temple uh, were raised in Bethlehem, which was only a few miles away from Jerusalem. Uh, They were the lambs that were set apart for sacrifice, born and raised. And that is exactly where Jesus himself was born, prepared for us as sinners who need a Savior. Friends, look at verse 32. Jesus is the Lamb of God, but Jesus is also the ultimate spirit-filled man of God. The ultimate spirit-filled man of God. John bears witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Uh, He bears sort of his own experience here with Jesus. He's assuming something that's not in the Gospel of John. It's in the other Gospels, interestingly enough, and that is the baptism of Jesus. Uh, written about in the other ones. Uh, Jesus comes to him out to John to be baptized. And as Jesus is being baptized, or right afterwards really, he sees the Spirit of God descend upon him like a dove. Uh, This is the the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Uh, He's the Spirit of God. Um, He is God in uh, the third person of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who comes upon Jesus. And he comes in the form of a dove. Uh, Now, why does he come in the form of a dove? It's actually not very clear. Uh, There's not a lot of background on this either as to why the Holy Spirit reveals himself as a dove. A lot of people point to Genesis chapter 1. In God, when he creates all of creation, uh, the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. And the idea is almost like a hen or a dove or a bird overseeing kind of with comfort all of creation. So that may be sort of the image. Then, of course, there's Noah who releases the dove at the end of the flood, a sign of peace of God's covenant. Perhaps that's what's being said here. But either way, he remains on Jesus. Uh, He stays on Jesus, which I think is important. This is not just a temporary empowerment of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. This is a remaining. He is now with him for his entire three-year ministry. I wonder, what did that look like? I don't know. I mean, this is a, the next picture. Is a, that's what a dove, uh, maybe it was an actual, looked like an actual dove that was kind of coming down from heaven on Jesus and landed on him. I'm not sure if that's what it was or if it looked sort of uh, more supernatural. I, I'm not sure exactly. But for John, it was very clear what was being said, that God was present with Jesus and upon his ministry. It remains on him. Friends, Jesus was filled and anointed and empowered and blessed by the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, friends, he, Jesus was, keep in mind, Jesus was fully human. Fully human, just like us, yet without sin. He ate, he slept, he felt things like pain. If he stubbed his toe or something, he chatted with his disciples about everyday things. He was fully human, like us in every way. He's our brother. We just sang about that, Christ uh, our brother, God our Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. He's one of us. He's not an outsider looking in on us. He's a, he's a human being. And like us, he needs God's spirit to empower him to do God's work. And that's what we see here. God's spirit comes upon Jesus to prepare him and empower him to do his work. We see that again and again in Jesus' life, that he is led by the spirit out from the desert into the next place. He's empowered by the spirit to do what he's called to do. I think in doing so, friends, we look and we see Jesus as really the ultimate example for us 
of a spirit-filled life. As a human being like us, as our brother, he depends upon the spirit, lives by the spirit, and shows us what it means then as human beings to depend upon him. Don't get me wrong, Jesus is unique. He's the Lamb of God. We said that. But he also acts for us as the perfect human being. He's, he's what human beings should have been all along. What we should have looked like. We see David Wells said, we see in Christ all that Adam was supposed to be. This is what we're supposed to look like. And friends, I think in doing so, he gives us sort of the target of what humanity is supposed to be. Uh, you really can't grow towards something if you don't know what that something is. Right? I mean, you can't aim at something if you don't have a target. I mean, think about it. If your, your goal is to run a marathon, uh, my goal is to run a half marathon. I'm not at the marathon level yet. You've got to know how long a marathon is. 23.2 miles. If you don't know that, then you're never going to actually strive for that. You have no idea what the target is. You've got to work towards a specific goal. Uh, if you want to be a really good dad, and I want to be a really good dad, you've got to know what a good dad looks like. If you have no idea what a good dad is, you're never going to be growing towards a specific area. Uh, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time, right? <laughs> you have to know what you're aiming at. Well, Jesus gives us the example of what real, true, perfect humanity looks like. You can break it down this way. It looks like perfect love for God and perfect love for people. Perfect love for God. He was regularly in prayer. You read these verses that, that you can just easily read right over. Jesus spent that night in prayer. The entire night with the Lord in prayer. A deep love for God. He submits to God's will even when his own desire might contradict. Like in the garden where Lord... I don't want to go through this suffering, but not my will, your will be done. Willing to submit to the Father's will. Regularly studied Scripture, revealed to us the meaning of Scripture, and lived overall with a, a deep reverence and worship and awe of God. He also lived with perfect love for his neighbor. He spent time with the oppressed, he ministered to the poor, he welcomed foreigners. You know, every time you see an outsider, in the Gospels. As someone from another country, someone who's a Gentile, Jesus always welcomes them. He raised up women who in that time were particularly oppressed. He raised up children who at that time were seen as really uh, as an outsider, as someone that a rabbi would not waste his time with. And yet Jesus then takes them in and says, the kingdom belongs as such as these. He loves even his enemies. Even as he's being nailed to the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And one who is willing to die for us. Jesus is the example of a, of a truly human, a true human being who is filled with the Spirit. He's the Lamb of God. He's a Spirit-filled man. He's the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 33. Verse 33. More than just being filled with the Spirit himself, he's the one who then baptizes us with the Spirit. Now, what is that all about? Uh, John says, I myself did not know him. Again, uh, John is saying, I, I didn't know he was the Messiah. I didn't know that my second cousin was going to be the Messiah. Can you imagine the surprise for him that it was all this time his second cousin? Uh, but nevertheless, he says, I was preparing the way for him. I didn't know exactly who it was, but now I do. And he's the reason why I baptize. And notice he says here, he who sent me to baptize. Now, just as a little test, who's that? Who's the one who sent John to baptize? 
Just say, you can just say it in your own mind if you want. Uh, it's not Jesus, because he's the one he baptizes, and the one who the Spirit comes upon. It's not the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's the one who comes upon Jesus. He's talking about the Father. So you have the whole Trinity at work here. The Father sends John to baptize Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus as he's baptizing him. Right there and then. He says here, though, that this whole baptism, again, was just a symbol. Jesus is the real thing. He's what it's all about. And what does that mean? Because he's the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. John just uses water. It's just a symbol. Water is not going to actually change anyone's life. But Jesus has the Spirit of God that he gives us. He immerses us in God's presence. And that genuinely really changes us. John's ministry was just a shadow of what was to come in Jesus. Friends, like Jesus, let's seek to be Spirit-filled. But more than that, let's also seek to be baptized of the Spirit, meaning to receive the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit by His ministry. The Holy Spirit is kind of mysterious to us. Uh, He's called the Holy Spirit. He's called the Spirit of Holiness. He's called the Spirit of God. He's also called the Spirit of Jesus. He's the Holy Spirit who comes to us by Jesus' ministry. He's the one who Jesus breathes on His disciples as a symbol of giving them the Holy Spirit. In Acts 16, 7, he's called the Spirit of Jesus. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So here's the Spirit of Jesus directing them where they should go. And Romans 8, 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. He's the one who is in us, changing us, shaping us. He's the one who saves us, We receive the Holy Spirit when we come to faith in Christ and we are born of Him and He's the one who indwells us as His people. We're called to be filled with the Holy Spirit regularly. Not to quench the Spirit, not to grieve the Holy Spirit, but to live by Him. The point is this, friends, that the Christian life is essentially a spiritual life. It's looking to God and His presence at work to transform us and to lead us. I hope that First Baptist is a spirit-filled place (laughs) that ministers to people who are ministered to by the Holy Spirit. Because that's the whole ministry of Jesus. Uh, The Spirit is the one who gives new life. Uh, When you came to faith in Christ, for those who are believers here, that was a miracle. Uh, It may have seemed like it wasn't a miracle. It may have seemed like, no, I thought through this, read this book, heard this story, uh, logically considered all these facts, and... I decided to become a Christian. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, according to Scripture, you were born again by the Holy Spirit, and it was a miracle of God. Because you can't see God and see Christ truly with spiritual eyes unless He does something in you. So when we talk about trying to lead others to faith in Jesus, we're asking God to do a miracle. We're asking God to do something only God can do. And He does it by His Spirit. Spirit is also the one who transforms lives. So even as a Christian, you don't just get born of the Spirit and then move on. No, the Spirit is the one who dwells within us. And He's the one who shapes us and molds us. He's the one who bears the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. None of that happens apart from the Spirit's work. Otherwise, if we, we don't depend upon the Spirit to transform lives... We have no power to actually do it. We can just kind of rearrange furniture in your life. You should do this instead of this. You should be here instead of there. And none of it actually transforms someone. And then lastly, friends, the Spirit is the one who equips us to do ministry. 
He's the one who gives us the spiritual gifts. He gives us the ability to build up the body of Christ or to do outreach. Jesus is the one who baptizes by the Spirit, and that's the ministry we want to see happen here, that God, by His Spirit, is saving and transforming and equipping us to do His work. Look at verse 34, though. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Son of God that John witnessed about. Verse 34, I think it's sort of a summary of this whole thing. This is the one. This is the Son of God. John summarizes, he says here, that I've seen, I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. What does he mean, I've seen it? I've seen this. Uh, he may be referring to not something he sees with his, his physical eyes, but really his spiritual eyes, with an inner witness. I know this is him. I'm fully confident God has ministered it to us. And also, he's seen the dove appear upon Jesus. And he says, more than that, I've seen it, now I bear witness. I proclaim this. This has become my whole ministry to tell you that he's the one. Stop focusing on me. Look to him. He's the son of God. Not just a son of God, but the eternal son. Friends, what do we mean when we say he's the son of God? Uh, We don't mean that Jesus, like us, is a child of God by faith. That's not worth saying that he's just a son of God like any one of us. That's sort of the Unitarian view, or even in a different way, that's sort of the uh, Mormon view. Uh, That's not what we're saying. He's not just a son of God. We don't mean that Jesus one day was born and became a son. So like an earthly father has a child, that child becomes a son. That's not what we're saying, that Jesus had a beginning someday, even if it was 10 million years ago or something like that. It's not the idea. He is the eternal son of God. You might say, how can you be a son eternally? Well, it's God we're talking about. So this isn't something that we're going to fully wrap our minds around. In fact, I think when we think of father-son, we think, okay, Jesus is... God is just trying to describe the relationship of himself through our own father-son relationship. That's the type of relationship he has with God the Father, but it's eternal. We mean that he is equal with God the Father in being, but in relationship he is described as the Son. Friends, worship Jesus as the Son of God this Christmas. You know, I think there's a lot we get confused about Christmas, and that's okay. We get lots confused about the story of Christmas. We, get, we add a lot of stuff that really isn't that important to Christmas. And most of it really doesn't matter. For example, December 25th was most likely not the day that Jesus was born. Um, I, like I said, I like to say, we have a, a basically a 1 in 365 chance that it was December 25th. All right? <laughs> it may have been, unless it was a leap year. That was 1 in whatever it is. There. Uh, there were not three wise men um, that came from the Orient. Uh, there were magi that came from the east. And magi, this never tells us how many there are. There are probably actually dozens of them that kind of came from the east. Um, they weren't wise men. Uh, well, they may have been wise men, but they're not, that's not the best description. They weren't kings. That's what I should have said. Uh, these weren't kings. They were magi, which are kind of like astrologers who came from the east. And they didn't come on Jesus' birth. So even most of our nativity scenes, like the one in front of us, have all the magi there. They actually came much later on. Uh, the shepherds came at his birth. The magi came later. Uh, but we all show it all together. What does that matter? Nothing. There's no difference. We get that wrong. We also add a bunch of stuff about elves and reindeer and snowmen and all that kind of stuff to it. Again, not that big of a deal. But let's make sure we get this right. <laughs> Don't miss this. That in the manger was the Son of God. You know, it's interesting. A few years back, you guys remember... Um, Somebody stole uh, the baby 
Jesus from a nativity set here in Haverhill. Remember that? Uh, this is from CBS News. A mayor in Massachusetts is outraged that someone stole a baby Jesus statue from a church's nativity scene and replaced it with a freshly decapitated pig's head. I think we later found out it was a, a mentally unstable person. Uh, the baby Jesus figurine was also stolen from the nativity scene on the Greenfield Town Common in a Massachusetts community nearly 100 miles away. I was curious about this, stealing the baby Jesus. This is actually a big thing. There's a Wikipedia page called Baby Jesus Theft. It's a thing. Uh, the theft of plastic or ceramic figurines of the infant Jesus from outdoor public and private nativity displays during the Christmas season. It's a, quote, enduring and illegal practice, according to the New York Times journalist Katie Rogers, believed to be part of a yearly tradition often carried out by bored teenagers looking for an easy prank. <laughs> this is an official thing. The prevalence of such thefts has grown, uh, has caused the owners of outdoor manger scenes to protect their property with GPS devices. Uh, put a little GPS tracker in the baby Jesus. Surveillance cameras and other means. Well, here's what my point, friends. Uh, not that I'm overly concerned that we lose the figurine, but that we lose the actual baby Jesus, or the actual Christ, the Son of God, from our Christmas. Is that where our focus is? Look past the wrapping paper, past the tinsel, past the ribbons and bows, past the big sails, and make sure you see the Son of God in the manger. Look to Jesus, the Son of God. He bears our sin. He is the ultimate Spirit-filled example. He baptizes us with the Spirit. The whole ministry of the church is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And He is the Son of God. Friends, as I said, Christmas Eve is a week away. I hope you invite some friends. I hope you talk about Jesus on Christmas Day as you celebrate with family and friends and all year round. Christmas does celebrate joy and charity and compassion and generosity, but ultimately it celebrates the Son of God. I love this quote from Napoleon Bonaparte, believe it or not. I love this. Bonaparte said, I actually checked the validity of this. This is most likely actually a genuine quote from Bonaparte, or a collection of quotes from him. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. Napoleon was not a humble man, so. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. He is the Son of God. Pray with me. Well, our gracious Father, thank you so much for this gathering this morning and this opportunity as a church family, as a Jesus-centered community, to gather and remind one another what we celebrate this time of the year. We celebrate the Lord Jesus. We're thankful for all the other blessings that you give us. We're thankful, Father, for the gifts we're able to offer to one another and to our families. We're thankful for the feasts that we'll most likely enjoy on Christmas Day. And we're thankful, Father, for good friends and family to spend Christmas with. And these are all good things, really, really good things. But Lord, we also remember that this Christmas, as every day, is about the Lord Jesus who has come to us. Born in a manger, 
and ready to give his life for us as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, I pray for those here who already know you, are already in relationship with Jesus. Let us go deeper and deeper in our faith and our trust and our worship this Christmas. And for any here, Lord, who maybe don't yet have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, and we're so grateful that they would decide to come and join us for worship this morning. Pray that you would minister to them. You know what their questions are, what their struggles are, as they're seeking to understand better. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to them, be with them, and hear their prayers this morning, too. Bless our time of worship. Bless us as we go. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.